read two passages. There's Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14. Talk about those 144,000 witnesses. And then after we read those, I want to take you to some other passages so you can better understand why, why God the Father and God the Son calls what we know as 144,000 Jewish witnesses. And um, I mentioned last week there's a, there's a cult that somehow believed that they're, this is them. This is a group called the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they originally claimed that they were the 144,000. And, of course, they have a big problem with that because there's more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses uh, probably even in America, so uh, they've had to redo their theology several times. And um, so, and I, I'll say to you, and it, you really don't have to invite them into your house if somebody comes by your house. Really, the Bible tells us that don't even give them time. You can find that in Second John te teaches us that. You just don't give them any time at all. But if you do say anything to them and they, you want to talk about the 144,000, I told you last week, ask them which tribe of Israel they're from, and that'll take... That'll take care of it because there are, you know, 12,000 from each of the tribes. And, of course, we won't get into the tribe issue. There's, you know, the tribe of Dan is mentioned, but I'm missing, but I won't get into that today. Revelation chapter, chapter 7. If you remember, we had read, and we've read it really several times here, um, in chapter 6, uh, you have the sixth still opened. And I had mentioned to you the sixth seal begins in Revelation 6.12. And between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, there's, there's this um, break. It's almost like a cookie break. There's a, there's a, a break, of, and there's several chapters, and, and that happens. So, so usually, you know, you'll first seal, second seal, third seal, and you go out, and it's the same thing with the trumpets and the bowls. First bowl, second bowl, third bowl. When you get after the sixth bowl, there's another break. After the sixth trumpet, there's another break. And here you'll find the same thing. You have the sixth seal, and then we have the explanation of the 144,000 witnesses, et cetera, et cetera, the great multitude that is saved. <clears throat> By the way, there's people who are always asking, can people, and you can answer this. You can answer this out loud. Are people, can people be saved? Let me ask this. If you've heard the gospel and you're not saved now, can you be saved in the tribulation? And yes, you can. And, and will there be people saved in the tribulation? Yes, there'll be multitudes of people saved in the tribulation. Now, there is a warning. You know, we, in 1 Thessalonians, there is a warning. Uh, 2 Thessalonians, there is a warning for people who want to play games with God. It does say that God will send strong delusions so that they might believe the lie. Because you have to remember that, that this plan of salvation, I love what Ephesians 1.9 says, I'm paraphrasing now, that this plan of salvation, God set forth in Christ. This is about salvation and the lordship of Jesus Christ. This whole plan, the whole work. Robbie read John chapter 10. He's, the good, he's in control. He's the good shepherd. He's the door of the sheep. You can only go in and out through him. So this plan, this work of salvation, the work of discipleship, the work of your maturity, is all about Christ, the plan that God set forth in, in Christ. But picking up in chapter 6, Revelation 6, verse 12, these verses will be familiar. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell on, on the earth, to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. That's pretty strong. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us. And hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. And folks, look what it says. They are aware that these judgments. Now we're in the seal judgments. This is the early part of the judgments. As a matter of fact, you could argue 
uh, you know, the tribulation lasts seven years. The last half of the, the is in three and a half segment, three and a half year segments. The last half, the last three and a half years, is known as the Great Tribulation. There's good argument <clears throat> that these these sealed judgments aren't part of the last half of the tribulation. There's good arguments that they're the first three and a half years. So this is the early part, or earlier part of the tribulation. So of the seven-year tribulation, I mean, we don't know for sure because this is, you know, you interpret as best you can. But let's say this is happening a year into the tribulation. But look what the people are able to say. They know where, they know where the judgments are coming from. And fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb. And by the way, uh, not only is, is the 144,000 Jewish witnesses going to be in, in the context next. But when you get to Revelation 6. The, the language of the book turns very Jewish. So what I'm saying is a lot of the symbolism that John sees, he refers from a Jewish perspective. And God does that on purpose because ultimately, what is the tribulation for? Okay, the tribulation is God pouring out His wrath. It is. Judging sin, judging the world, judging the rebellion of the world and sinners, purging the earth. That's one part of it. But the other part of the tribulation is... For who? The Jews. It's to, <clears throat> it's to bring the Jews to repentance. And so you would, <clears throat> excuse me, you would think, and you would know and believe that therefore the book of Revelation would be very Jewish. By the way, there's um, 800 references, inferences to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation because not only is it about God's wrath, not only is it about the deception of the Antichrist, but it's about God bringing the Jews to repentance to where they will finally call on the Lord Jesus Christ as the true Messiah. And it's that moment when they call on him that Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation and, and known as the Battle of Armageddon, read there in Revelation 19.11. But they know the throne. It's what says they fall on us and hide us from the sits on the throne. <clears throat> I'm so sorry my voice does this, everyone. And the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their, that's the Father and the Son, the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Now those, that's very important because, again, I'll mention it again. The Bible mentions several times where you and I, believers, who are in Christ are not appointed unto wrath. So whenever the tribulation starts, if God's pouring out his wrath, then the church is not here. And, and this is this part of dispensational theology, but it makes you realize how precious the church is. And, and it is amazing. And even when you read the New Testament and you see the hundred and five times the word church appears and, and why the church is important, you and I sometimes don't realize how precious the body of Christ is, how precious the church is, being called the bride of Christ, that God has promised to remove us out of this world before the tribulation ever starts. Because we, as his children, are not appointed unto wrath. That's a very important doctrine. And I don't say that just because I, I want to you know, give you pie-in-the-sky hope I say that because Jesus promised that. We're his body. We are the bride of Christ, and we have not been appointed unto wrath. But when the church is taken and seen, then you wonder, why does God have all these witnesses? He's not only going to have the 144,000 witnesses we're going to read about now, <clears throat> but he has angelic witnesses, okay? And he has the two great witnesses, the two guys, the two great like prophets of the Old Testament. He has one angel that proclaims the gospel all over the world from the heavens. But he has other angelic witnesses. Why does he have witnesses? Why is he calling on these special? Because the church is no longer here. At, remember when Jesus said, you will be talking to us, those of us that are saved, Acts 1. And you, talking to all believers, and you shall be my what? Let's say it again. We missed, 
I know you wanted to say it. You missed it. And, and you shall be my... Right, Acts 1.8. Well, now the witnesses, those of us that know Christ and, and are sharing the truth about the gospel to the lost world, we've been removed. So now God's calling forth other witnesses. This is how other folks get saved. They have to hear the gospel, right? So even during the tribulation, do you know what these witnesses are going to be preaching about? Christ crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended, and judging. That's what they're going to be preaching. So, so you know, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. People are still going to have to hear the word of God to be saved. So hence we have witnesses. Chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels. Before I read any more, I have a note on my folder. I have a folder. And I have to mention this. And I don't talk a lot about signs of the times. We will get to that, I think, when we talk about the mark of the beast and all that. We can talk about signs that we are at the end of the age. When we say the end of the age, we really you might be saying the end of the church age. The age that we're in, according to Romans, I mean, Revelation 1 is the church age right you know the things that were john says that's before the pentecost the things that are church age and then there's that will be that's going to happen after the church is raptured out of this world but when we think about so we think about signs of the times that that talk about or, or kind of motivate us to realize that we're living in the last days of this age you would agree amen i mean course it's same i've told you that i've been here 22 years right it's a long time i know it's what you're thinking hey by the way walter you're not gonna believe this and the rest of you're not gonna believe it either we, the wedding and sonia can testify to this i don't know who else was here anybody in the wedding raise your hand was serious okay i have some witnesses <clears throat> i did the wedding you ready in 19 minutes I did. Didn't I, Robbie? <clears throat> As a matter of fact, let me just stop here and brag on myself. Everybody talks about being long-winded. And they wanted to short, and there was no music in the body of the, <clears throat> of the wedding. And, of course, I told them, I said, you know, anyway, let's move on. I said, you know, it, it's great, but the only thing, so many things I can say <clears throat> if there's no music. Anyway, so I finished the wedding, invited people to the reception, and hung around for a minute. And then I went back and checked my clock, and it was, it was 19 minutes then, so it was really quicker than 19 minutes. So the whole point, thank you. So the whole, thank you very much. The whole point is I can be, I can be brief. I can. On a good day, but I'm not. <clears throat> Just something to think about. I was kind of impressed. Anyway, so let's talk about signs. That may be a sign of the time, me preaching short. All right, look here. I read, I had three, high, this is in one day in the same, I don't know what news I get, but headlines. Here's three. You don't have to write these down. It's interesting. Monkey-human embryos <clears throat> reignite discussions of hybrid offspring. That sound biblical to you? Hey, man, that happened in the book of Genesis where they were mixing <clears throat> genetics. And so this was all in one day's headlines. This was monkey-human embryos reignite you realize that they're mixing animal and human embryos and in, in dna okay uh, one of the famous ones is the the goat the goat silk that we have goats the military does they have goats that in the goat's milk is silk believe me this is part of military strategy because you could silk so strong and they make parachutes i'm that's not i'm not making that up so they blended the DNA of, of a spider and a goat, and there, there's silk in the milk of these uh, uh, silk goats. Anyway, so that shows you how you, that's number one. One other one talked about 3%, I don't believe this, but this is what they said. 3% of the land mass on the earth's surface is untouched or is unmarred by humans. You know, they, these are tree huggers. 3% of the land mass in the world is unmarred by human hands. I don't believe that, but that's tree huggers. And you say, well, that, where is that in the Bible? Well, Romans 1 says, they worship and serve the creation rather than the creator, right? They'll hug a tree and save a bird, 
but they'll kill babies in the womb. This doesn't make sense, though. Three, so that was second. The third one was prehistoric DNA found in caves, extracted for, for testing. And one of the things that they're doing, and this is stuff I read about, and maybe you don't, but I read about it, is when they do these excavations and they find skeletal remains, let's say they find skeletal remains from some of the mighty men of, of the Greek myths, if some of it wasn't myths, or of giants, let's say they were giants. Let's say they find the skeletal remains of a 19-foot red-headed giant and, and they extract DNA from that large skeleton and they can find DNA. And then they try to use that DNA and insert that in maybe another person that's a lot. You know what I'm saying? That's the stuff that's going on. And that was just three articles. By the way, <clears throat> this is me. I'm, I may be wrong. And I'm, matter of fact, most of the scholars I read don't even mention this. I'm a conspiracy theorist now. The older I get, the worse I get. Diane says, don't you say that up in that pulpit. Don't you? She'll say, don't you bring that up up there in that pulpit. Anyway, so I'm, I, there's things I'd like to say, but I don't because you'd think I've lost my mind. But in Revelation, when it says the beast, when it mentions the beast, are, are part of killing people, one of the judgments is a beast. I think it's, I think it's hybrids. I, I think it's beasts, animals that have been fooled with, and, and, and it's a mess. That's, so let's move on. I don't know how I got off on that. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Now, these are going to bring judgments when you get to chapter 8. But look what happens. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun in the seal of, with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea of the trees or, sea, or the trees until we have sealed. And folks, it's very important, sealed. The servants of our God on their foreheads. I'm going to tell you why it's important. Just say, until we have sealed the servants of God, of our God, on their foreheads. Which is kind of a, you know, the, when eventually when people are asked to take the mark of the beast, they, they take the number of his name on their hand or on their forehead. Interesting. And I heard the number of the sealed. This is, so the people that God seals and is 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And, and it, it implies that this is a world. It's not like there's 144,000 right out of Israel. No. These, these 144,000, which are 12,000 from the, each tribe of Israel, come from all over the world, all over the earth's surface. And, and God seals these 12,000 from each tribe. And he lists those. He lists the tribes, okay? And for another time and another place, we do know that the tribe of Dan is missing. There's a reason for that because of their idolatry. They were the first ones to erect a false god. Go to Revelation 14. Then I looked and behold on Mount Zion, that's another name for <clears throat> Jerusalem. And I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. I love that. Uh, remember that we read earlier the Lamb who had, was the Lamb who had been slain, which is Christ. You know, John the Baptist said that, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin. Stood the Lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, there's implications here that, from reading the text, and, and if you put it in the context, uh, this, is, this is further, quite further down the tribulation time frame. Okay? So we're into the second half of the tribulation, and some scholars even assume that you're getting towards the end of the tribulation because a lot of this is not just chronological there are breaks in that where there's just descriptions of things that are not necessarily chronological 
But we began, let's just hear something I want you to think about. We began with 144,000 Jewish witnesses, right? How many do we end up with? How many? Same number. Does God lose any of them? If Robbie, and I should have told you this, Robbie, later on in John 10 is, the, is, the, is where he's talking about that, you know, God gives them to me and I'll save them. And then he says, and nobody can snatch them out of my hand. And then he mentions the Father is greater than I and nobody can snatch them out of the Father's hand. The whole point of being sealed is they will not die. They will not be harmed by all the things that are going. Now, I say, I don't understand that, but God seals them. Now, let's stop right here and, and let's learn something real quick. Do you know who God has sealed now? Do you, now this, is, this is in the future, right? These, this is in the tribulation. God calls forth these witnesses. He seals them, Jewish witnesses, to preach the gospel so folks can get saved. But do you know that same sealing has happened to another group of people? Really, one other group of people. And who is it? That's the church. This is the same word used to describe what happens to me and you when you and I came to Christ and what God does in salvation for us. I want you to take your Bibles. Just hold your finger here at, at Revelation 14. I want you to go back to, uh, go to 2 Corinthians. We'll just do it in order. Go to 2 Corinthians and, and we're going to do a little Bible searching now, so hang in there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Folks, this is just a side note. This is why, you know, we, we call this, the, the doctrine is called the perseverance of the saints, okay? Sometimes we say, once saved, always saved, okay? And other people say, oh, you guys believe you can't lose your salvation. All that is to describe what's true that if God has saved you there's nothing you can do to lose it right because it's God's salvation you don't want to do things to lose it but if you're saved and born again you're born again you're God's child and it's sealed it's just God seals you just like he seals the 144,000 none of them are lost God seals you when you're saved I'm in I'm in second Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verse uh, verse 19. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Now, folks, that's profound. The idea is amen. Some of your Bibles has the word amen. All the promises of God are amen in Jesus Christ. So if he says it's going to happen, he guarantees it's going to happen. It says, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now, folks, I don't like taking verses out of context. I try to put that a little bit in a context. But if you were to read those three or four verses, and then I ask you a question, does God guarantee your salvation in Christ. How could you answer that? Does God guarantee salvation in Christ? That's okay. Go to, I'm still in 2 Corinthians. Go to chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. One of the most in-depth, insightful passages that we sometimes overlook is the first part of 2 Corinthians 5. Now, we know 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because we're ambassadors, and therefore, if anybody's in Christ, he is a new creation, verses 16 and 17. All that's profound, but the first few verses of, of 2 Corinthians 5 are powerful. So it says, For we know that if this tent, I'm in verse 1, for we know that if this tent, that is our earthly home, that's our body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's profound, again, so just think about that. 
this is before the, the dead in Christ will rise first and those of us, this is before that. So there's an existence, a physical existence, the moment you die and go to be with Jesus. But we move on. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we, there he's referring to our deeds that they adorn that, but we'll move on. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we should be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given... Whose plan is this? Did man make up the, the work of salvation? Is this, is this man's imagination that came up with how God saves? No, it's the plan of God. He, he set forth in Christ, Ephesians 1, 9. I love that. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee? Now, go to Ephesians. That'll be to your right. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse, uh, verse 11. Folks, so what they want you to see the picture. Just as God seals these witnesses, God seals you when you were saved. At the moment of salvation, God sealed you. And the Bible not only calls that a seal, it calls it a guarantee. A guarantee of salvation. But let me say something else it guarantees. It guarantees that God has filled you with his spirit. God has gifted you for the kingdom. God has placed you in his body. And God expects you to work. That's a guarantee. Okay. And then God's going to judge you based on your works, right? Not your sins. And there's going to be an accounting one day. These are all guarantees, okay? But verse 11 says, Ephesians 1, In him we've have, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Very important. Again. Who's in control of salvation? So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who, because he's a he, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And then Paul says, to the praise of his glory. Amen? This is a guaranteed inheritance. Sealed. Chapter 4. This will be our last one. Ephesians 4, 30. Well, let's pick up at verse 25. <clears throat> Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work. Why does God want you to work? Let him do honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We work so we can be givers. We, we earn a living, not only just to earn a living, provide our needs, but to provide the needs of others. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, that's edification, as fits the occasion. You meet people that, they say the wrong thing all the time. I, I'm telling you, it's a good indication they're not saved. 
it is at least a sign they're not filled with the Spirit, right? If you're filled with the Spirit and the Word of God, you have the Word to speak at the occasion. So let no corrupt communication come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Isn't that awesome? God has sealed us for the day of redemption. Now, I'm going to take us to a different level before we go back to Revelation 14. Holding your finger at Revelation 14, and I've got mine, I'm holding my finger. I want you to go in the Old Testament to the book of Daniel, okay? Hold your finger here and then go to Daniel chapter 9, okay? When you find Daniel 9, okay, hold, your, hold it, okay? You hold your place there. You don't have to go to this third one, okay? I'm going to read out of Matthew chapter 24, okay? Revelation 14, you're holding your finger there. You're in Daniel chapter 9, and that's in the Old Testament. And I'm going to read out of Matthew chapter 24 just a couple of verses. Now, the reason I'm going to read out of Matthew 24 is Matthew 24 is where Jesus talks about the tribulation. He talks about, he doesn't mention the rapture, but he mentions the tribulation. And let me remind you, until God revealed this, the work of the church to Paul and Peter and John, this was a mystery. This church age was a mystery. But when you're reading the book of Revelation, it's logical. You have Revelation 1, the, Jesus appears to John. You have Revelation 2 and 3, the church age. And then Revelation 4, 1, there's heaven, the doors opened in heaven. And John, who is part of the New Testament church, is, is called into heaven. So and remember it says after this, and so it says after this. So, so you have the church age, and the church age ends. And then soon after that, the tribulation begins. But in Daniel chapter 9, well, first let me read Matthew 24. Jesus said more about the end of the days as far as the gospel writers. In, in Matthew 24 is the longest passage. Luke 21 is a synonym. Luke chapter 21 is a synoptic, is a synonym. And also Mark 13. But Luke 24 and 25 is the longest. Where Jesus speaks about the end of the age. He speaks about the tribulation. So I want to pick up... Um, Verse 9, I'm in Revel, if you want to read with me, Matthew 24, and there's a whole reason we're doing this, okay? So hang in there with me. Matthew 24, 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, and they will put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, he's talking to the Jews. See, the church is gone. This is a, because they ask him, you know, what's the sign of your coming? What's the sign of the end of the age? He's talking what's going to happen to the Jewish people, right? So hang in there with me. So they're going to be hated by all nations. We know that. I mean, this is Revelation 6 through 19. This is what Jesus is talking about. We're going to study more of it in the days to come. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. They'll be turning each other in. Kind of like they do now, and even in America. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness will increase. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Then the end is going to come. And I'm going to tell you, that's during the tribulation. The gospel will be preached to every tribe, every tongue on the face of the earth. But that doesn't have to happen before the, tri before the rapture. That happens during the tribulation. But we move on. So when you see, now the verse 15, you got your Bibles open. Now this is why we went to Daniel. Chapter, 15, chapter 24, verse 15. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is Jesus talking about the tribulation. Then he says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, 
let the reader understand. That, that means the abomination of desolation is something that takes place in the Holy of Holies or the holy place of the temple. And then he says, let those who are in Judea flee mountains. What is the abomination of desolation? Now, now go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel's prayed for insight, and God gives it to him. I'm in Daniel 9, and I'll start at verse 24. This is Daniel 9. Daniel's going to get a revelation of Jewish history in three or four verses. Now, just follow along with me. This is why we, when you get to Revelation, there has to be Jewish witnesses because the focus of the world is on the Jews. God is bringing the Jews to repentance, so he's chosen 144,000 Jewish witnesses. The world turns again because of the Antichrist who breaks his covenant, which is the abomination of desolation. The whole world turns its fierce anger towards Israel and then the whole world makes its way not only to persecute but eventually to destroy uh, and wipe Israel off the map. And it's at the final battle called the Battle of Armageddon when Jesus shows up. So it's all about Israel, okay? Not, it's the wrath of God being poured out. All those things are true, but it's very Jewish in its perspective. By the way, because some of the promises that God made to Abraham, some of those land masses haven't been fulfilled. And when Jesus was born, the angel told Mary that Jesus is going to rule. That's what he said. He will rule the nations. Well, can I ask you, has Jesus ruled the nations yet? No. So if he's going to rule the nations, then what he has to do? He, he has to come back, right? And by the way, where is he going to rule from? Jerusalem. So, so now the book of Revelation, that's why you have to look at it from a very Jewish perspective. Yes, all these things are happening, but also God's bringing the Jews to repentance. And you, we can, we'll eventually read this in, in, in Zechariah and Hosea. There's several other passages, but I have to stay in chapter 9. Daniel's prayed. By the way, chapter 10 is when he prays and has to wait three weeks for an answer. The 21 days. But this is, this is the prayer before that. Well, I was, verse 20. Well, I, well, yeah, let me just put it in context. Okay. I'm not going to get everything in. I just have to confess that again. Okay. Sorry. While I was speaking and praying, verse 20. Now look what he's praying about. By the way, we're going to start doing this once a month on Friday. We're going to have a Bible study and, and time of confession and prayer at the church and pray for our nation, read scripture, and confess our sins. I want to do that. We want to do that once a month or once every six weeks. We're going to put it on the calendar. And if you come, great. If you don't, fine. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sins. Folks, when was the last time you got on your knees and confessed your sins? And the sin of my people. Now, we like doing that. We'll nail you, but we'll nail it just the, you know, the speck and the log issue. Isn't it? Man, I, I know how you ought to be living. Don't I don't see the log in my own eye. So the sin of my people Israel in presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking, because they're in, they're in captivity. Okay, uh, they're, Matter of fact, they're, this is, when this goes on, the Persians have taken over. The Medes and Persians have defeated Babylon. You can pick that up in chapter 9, verse 1. So Babylon, then Babylon's defeated by uh, the Persian Empire. What's known in history as the Medes and Persians. They've defeated uh, Belshazzar and now the Medes. Anyway, so while I was speaking, praying, okay, presenting my plea before the Lord my God on his holy hill, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in a swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel. I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your plea for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. There's very few individuals in the Bible that are called greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word 
and understand the vision. I really think only Daniel and John the Apostle. But we'll move on. Here, here's the answer, okay? Seventy weeks. Now, I can't explain all of this now because I've got, you know, three or four minutes. But I'll explain some of it. He, he's going to deal with 490 years of Jewish history. But they're not consecutive years. He's going to do what's called the 70 weeks of Daniel. Now remember, Jesus mentioned Daniel, right? Jesus knew this passage. And he mentioned, because he mentions the abomination of desolation right here. So Jesus was referring to this passage. So, so Gabriel tells Daniel the future of Israel, and it's going to be a 490, but they're not consecutive years. There's 483 years, and then there's a final seven years, okay? The final seven years of Jewish history, when is the last seven years of history? When? The tribulation. So it breaks down into 483 years and then a final seven years as God's dealing with the Jews. Let's read on. Seventy weeks, 77s, they're called heptads. You don't care about that. It's the, and the inference is their years. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city, Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin. Now, who does that? Jesus. And to atone for iniquity. Again, Jesus. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Jesus. To seal both visions and profit. And to, and to anoint a most, a most holy place. So that tells us that there's going to be a temple when all this goes on. Okay. See, here they're captive. The temple's back over there. But he's getting this vision, he's getting this message from Gabriel that all this has to do with somebody that's going to bring an end to sin, but also the temple's still going to be present. We know that. Knowing therefore, you with me? Verse 25. Knowing therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. Now that happened. Not, matter of fact, it's not long. From where Daniel's writing, it's when Artaxerxes, okay, Artaxerxes, which follows Darius, who's now leading the Medes and Persians, he decrees, okay, so it's going to happen. So understanding from the going out of, of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, and that's the, the uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, you know, Nehemiah's the one that deals with the wall, rebuilding the wall, and Ezra has to do in and Zerubbabel with building the temple after it had been destroyed by the Babylonians many years ago. And understand that from going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, Christ, there will be seven weeks, seven weeks, then for 62 weeks. So you have seven weeks and then 62 weeks. Seven and 62 is how many weeks? 69 weeks. If you're counting, that's 483 years, okay, together. Now, the reason it breaks seven weeks is because it's probably talking about when, when the decree and when the work of the temple's been re revealed. Anyway, so it, but the total is 69 weeks of Jewish history. There's a break. There's 69 weeks, and then there's going to be a 70th week. Let's, let's read on. Since till the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, and then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in troubled times. So the temple's going to be rebuilt, but this is talked about a 69-week period. And so this temple's been destroyed. The Babylonians did that. When Daniel gets this, it's in rubble. But God's going God's gonna, to... And Daniel is one of the ones to do this, and also... Uh, uh, Nehemiah and Ezra. So let me just say this instead of trying to explain all. Artaxerxes in 445 BC gave Nehemiah authority to go back and build. Okay? So let me just say this. And, and there are millions, not millions, thousands of scholars that do all this, that have calculated this. From, from that day, because we have the date. From the date it was uh, the tenth of the month, he decreed that 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 they could go back and start building the temple. That's exactly what this prophecy is about. So in 445 BC they go back and they can start working. From then 
till the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, the presentation of the prince, the king of kings, is what it says, is exactly 483 years to the day, counting 360-day years as the Jews did. So this is, a, this is a prophecy that was exactly fulfilled. And remember, Jesus knows this. Everything he does is to fulfill Scripture. So in the triumphal entry, he knew the day he was going to have to enter Jerusalem to fulfill Scripture. Let's move on. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in troubled times. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be, the anointed one shall be cut off and shall, ha shall have nothing. And the people, so they kill the prince, Jesus. Okay, He, appear, he comes in, they kill him. He'll be cut off. And he shall have nothing. By the way, he's, he, 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 he dies, but not for what he's done. Some translations say that. It, it says, but not for himself. I think it's another way of translating it. He died vicariously, not, not for what he had done. We've studied that. And after the 62 weeks, plus the seven earlier weeks, the 69 weeks, okay? And after the 62 weeks, and the anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, he's getting a little bit, so he's putting in chronological order. I know I'm already over time. He's putting in, so after the Messiah, okay, after the Messiah is cut off, he's crucified. The next event is the people of the prince to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So, so now when, Messiah, when he mentions the Messiah, the temple's been rebuilt. Okay, Well, we know that because Artaxerxes gave them permission in 445 and they rebuilt the temple. Hence, that's why Herod's, Herod picked up on it, the Roman, and, and he, he helped finish the temple called Herod's Temple. That's, it was so elaborate because he used his resources. So there is a temple. Jesus was here. There was a temple. So what it says, And the people of the prince to come shall destroy the city in the sanctuary. So after Jesus, they're going to destroy the temple again. But do you know there's no temple there now? Uh, this is the event that the Bible's describing the last time the temple would be destroyed. This happened in 70 A.D. And who destroyed the temple? The Romans did. Okay. So now it kind of tells you, it tells you the Antichrist, this is exactly what it says. Look at your Bibles. Now I'm not going to, I don't know who it is. And the people of the prince who is to come, that's the Antichrist, he's the one that's going to, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's the old Roman Empire. So we can assume that the, the Antichrist who's going to come is going to come from the old Roman Empire. Just a thought. And it described, its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war and desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Now, how, there's the last week. So it's all a Jewish perspective. So this prince that's going to come is going to make a covenant. It's going to be a worldwide covenant. All the nations are going to make an agreement not to be at peace with Israel. So let's read it and finish. This is why the witnesses are so important, okay? It's all about the Jews, okay? Let's move on. So it says, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offerings. Now that, again, reminds us there'll be a temple. Okay. I believe this is literal. So... I believe in the tribulation there'll be a temple rebuilt. There's not a, the Jews don't have a temple now. Okay? On Temple Mount, there's no temple. But they're planning to build a temple. And, and somehow, some way, they're going to be able to do this, which is a miracle, but it's going to happen. And look what it says. So, so, but in the middle of the week, he'll put an end to the sacrifice and offerings. And on the wing of abominations, and an abomination here, I mean, there's other abominations, is when the temple is defiled. And historically, it's happened a few times. This is, an abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator, until he's the desolator, the Antichrist, is going to be destroyed.
but it called the abomination of desolation is what this ends up being called. It's what Jesus calls it, the abomination of desolation. So all about Jews. So in three and a half years, in the middle of the seven years of tribulation, the last week, in the middle, that's what it says, in the middle of the week, the, the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, is going to stand in the holy place and he's going to put an end to sacrifices. And then when you read what Paul says, he's going to claim to be, to be worshipped. And then when you read about the mark of the beast, he's going to say, not only am I to be worshipped, but you're going to take my mark. This is when he does it, in the middle of the tribulation. And he's going to demand that the world worship him and identify their worship by taking his mark, the number of his name. It's about his mark. Not our mark, his mark. So people who will devote themselves, they will take his name or the number of his name. They will take his mark. All of this has to happen in the future. So, so when, if you're looking at it, see what happens. So now the great tribulation starts at this moment. This begins the great tribulation, right? But it's all about the Jews. God is bringing the Jews to repentance. Yes, thousands and thousands of people are being saved all over the world. They hear the gospel. They repent. By the way, uh, Diane's going to kill me. She's in the nursery. People who get saved in the tribulation, they will not take the mark. You with me? You cannot take the mark of the beast and be saved. Can't do it. So, so now, now you can go back, and I'll just go back, go back to Revelation 14. I'm not going to read anything, but just take a fam. <laughs> Make me feel better if I go back over there. He says, so he sees the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Folks, God, let me just say this. God purchased these men. It says he he, he brought them out of the population of mankind. Uh, he prepared them. He, he, he gave them his mark. He marked them out. Folks, that it, everything that these witnesses are in the tribulation, we are right now. He purchased us. He's prepared us. He's called us to proclaim the gospel. They're going to proclaim the gospel during the tribulation. We're to be proclaiming the gospel right now. Folks, Jesus is coming. He's coming to rapture the church, and then he's going to judge the world. We need to believe that, and we need to share the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, thank you for the promises of salvation. Thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for salvation. Thank you that everything you've promised, you set forth in Jesus. And in Jesus Christ, everything is Amen. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank y'all so much. We'll see you uh, Wednesday night, 5.30 for mealtime, 6, 6.15-ish for Bible study. Have a good afternoon.